0: So, Rachel.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Spock, Sulu, and Ahura are captured by the Kazinti, who are trying to learn the secret of an ancient weapon.
1: Oh, finally, the Kazinti have been on about these for ages. Mm. So, Ahura's in it, yes. Kirk will be trying to save them from the cat people. There'll be unfair comparisons to Mereth. The weapon will enslave, mind control, turn people into remote-controlled fighters or weapons, maybe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs, (laughs) but I'm hoping for some heroic Kirk rescues with foo.
0: We'll see.
2: Rachel watches Star Trek. First officers long. Star date 4187.3. The Enterprise shuttlecraft Copernicus is en route to Starbase 25 with an important cargo, a slaver stasis box discovered by archeologists on the planet Kazin. These stasis boxes are the most remarkable thing the slavers ever produced. Time stands still inside a stasis box. A billion years means nothing in there. Ooh.
0: Well, that sounds very intriguing. (laughs) Welcome to...
1: Rachel watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackey.
0: And I am Chris, or Christopher, Lackey. Posh. Uh, This particular episode, The Slaver Weapon, was written by science fiction author Larry Niven Mm. and adapted from his short story, The Soft Weapon. And we'll talk more about Larry Niven and the Kazinti later. But in this episode, it begins in a shuttlecraft. It's Ahura Spock and Sulu, and they are discussing the slavers, which was a species that ruled the galaxy about a billion years ago. <gasps> what? They were killed off in a war, but they had this technology called a stasis box. And these things still exist, which they used to carry valuables, scientific instruments, weapons, and uh, one box contained a flying belt which was the key to understanding artificial gravity Hmm. that is used by starships to this day. And another box contained a disruptor bomb that had the pin pulled. So it exploded almost immediately after it was open. And then after that point, anytime they would open up one of these slaver boxes, they were really careful about it. (laughs)
1: You'd think so, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, they learned their lesson the hard way
1: (laughs) so this box they've got glows and then leads them to a second box on beta lyrae an ice planet out pop some kazinti once they get there who have lowered them there with an empty stasis box the kazinti are lean but hunchy grumpy big cat types they're standing on two legs wearing bright pink and purple skin tight boiler suits with transparent balls over their heads wow
0: I would call those spacesuits. They are captured in what is called a police web. It's like a web that's on the ground. When they step on it, they can't move. Yeah. And then they are taken onto the ship of the Kazinti called the Traitor's Claw.
1: And we get this.
2: The lean bedraggled one is a reader of minds. I've heard all Kazinti telepaths are unhappy neurotics. He fits the description. There is no sure way to guard our thoughts from him, but the Kazinti are meat eaters. If you sense him reading your mind, Think of eating a raw vegetable. Yes, sir. Maybe I can goad them into revealing their purpose. Lieutenant Ahura, this may be crucial. In the presence of the Kazinti, do not say anything. Do not do anything startling. Try to look harmless. Any special reason? Are you forgetting Kazinti females are dumb animals? In an emergency, the Kazinti may forget a human female is an intelligent creature. Thanks. Thanks a
1: lot. <laughs> You gotta love a bizarre bit of dialogue like that.
2: Yeah, it's so
0: strange. Because obviously Spock is saying, I don't think that. Yeah. But if they do, we can use that to our advantage. Yeah. When did she become the sensitive little flower that anything could be considered an insult?
1: Well, maybe this is the last straw. I've seen it's a bit of a meme for her to say, oh, hell no. (laughs) So that would apply here, wouldn't it? (laughs) Is it? Yeah. (laughs) You know, hailing frequencies
0: open. Oh, boy, I didn't get that. So the Kazinti captain explains that they have found an empty stasis box. And using the stasis box is a way that they can attract people with stasis boxes to come to them. And then they get their stasis box with all the goodies inside. So the one that Spock had now in their possession, they open it up. It doesn't explode. But inside is what seems to be a photograph of a slaver, Mm. which is kind of weird Mm. that they've got like just paper photos but okay oh, yeah, why not true. it's a picture of like kind of a green one-eyed monster thing mm. and they think that that might be a picture of a slaver
1: i like it it's random
0: uh, this is another thing in there that they don't really explain there's a big chunk of fresh meat in there
1: <laughs> just to prove that time stands still in the box
0: i guess so yeah. yeah the important bit is some kind of device that they think is perhaps a weapon
1: might have been a care package this box <laughs>
0: sent picture of
1: themselves yeah a bit of lunch And a weapon There you go They go to the surface to test the weapon And find that its power output isn't as good as the tech they have now Mm. Which is confusing It has a number of settings though that transform the gun into different types of weapons and tools One that they test sucks the power out of everything around them Including the police web So they can make a break for it
0: Now, I wondered why didn't it affect their force field belts? Because then they would have suffocated and died.
1: Oh, no. If it disables all technology. Yeah. um, Yeah. You mean their life support belts?
0: Yeah. It makes a little force field around them that keeps all the air in and the the heat. That's with the yellow glow around them. It's a force field.
1: You can't just breathe your own oxygen again and again, can you?
0: Well, I'm sure the belt somehow reprocesses the carbon dioxide into oxygen.
1: Yeah. Seems better than what they've got, usually.
0: Obviously, again... It was all just because it was cheap to do yeah. with animation. Now that they're free mm. from the police web, Spock jump kicks the <laughs> Kazinti, and then he grabs their gun, and they all make a run for it.
1: Oh, great. It's awesome. Spock and Sulu escape, but poor Uhura is recaptured.
0: Oh. So Spock explains to Sulu that the captain will be very ashamed that he has been bested by a herbivore, mm-hmm. and he won't call for reinforcements. So they've got some time on their hands. Mm-hmm. And this is all part of Spock's very elaborate plan. And I think this is really interesting because this is one of the few times on star trek that we've got a really alien culture like they have different social rules they have this weird honor system that's very complex and they have a kind of a caste system they go into it later in other star trek books but they don't get names at birth you don't get a name until you earn a name oh god like this telepath in here they just call him the telepath mm. you just get called what your job is unless you've earned a name for yourself Right. right. so they've got this really elaborate Ooh. way that they structure their society it, it's not really shown too much in here what they can show and make sense to have it in the plot they do and I think that that's really interesting and I like that
1: Mm. and they don't have any qualms about eating other sentient creatures they Mm. love it
0: no they're really kind of into it
1: Sulo tells Spock that he thinks the weapon belonged to a spy because most of the features on it would not be helpful as weapons so it was unlikely to have been used by a soldier So it must have a self-destruct setting, he thinks. Yeah. Before they can find it, Chuffed Captain, that's the boss, hails them wanting to trade Uhura's life for the weapon. And he wants to fight Spock to regain his honor. Spock estimates his own chances of defeating Chuffed Captain as very low. So he says no.
0: And I think this is interesting, too, because Spock goes, he's broken two ribs, yet he's a very powerful warrior. No, I'm still going to lose. Uh-huh. So Spock tries another setting uh, making an atomic-looking explosion happen <laughs> miles away. And this is the most powerful weapon that they've ever seen. Nothing's like this in the Federation. Gosh. I would think maybe a nuke would be. Uh, yeah. Aren't
1: their phases more powerful than this?
0: No, not even close.
1: For distance. He
0: says it's total conversion of matter to energy, which is pretty much what a nuclear explosion is. Hmm. It's like a giant fission gun that's able to shoot a beam of some kind that's able to make an explosion that seems to be a huge atomic blast.
1: Yeah, so we don't want that in the wrong hands.
0: Exactly, especially in the hands of these very warlike Kazinti.
1: Mm-hmm. The shockwave knocks Spock and Sulu over, and the Kazinti recapture them and the weapon. The Kazinti fiddle with it a bit, and they find it's got a computer within it. So they start to try getting information
2: out of it. If you could describe the positions of the stars in your sector, we would know how much time has passed since then. Without certain code words, I may not describe our location. One of the settings on this weapon was a total conversion beam. We saw it. Tell us how to find it. Twist my witter shins until you reach the null position they've got it.
1: I thought the weapon wasn't too smart for giving them the answer after saying it needed code words, but kaboom. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Spock knew that this was going to happen, or he suspected at least. He says that the computer woke up, doesn't know long how it's been in stasis, doesn't know where it is, doesn't know who these creatures are. And of course, they're not giving any of the code words. So Spock thinks that the computer thinks that they're the enemy kabloom so when they try to test their weapon it just blows them up blows up half of their ship I don't, I don't i'm surprised that spock and the gang are not hurt by mm. this explosion
1: yes apparently it's nowhere near as powerful as the other weapon it yeah can do.
0: gee whiz they get back to the copernicus and we end with this little bit here
2: didn't you say the Kazinti have legends of weapons haunted by their dead owners yes an ancient superstition <laughs> At this rate, they'll never get over those old superstitions. Well,
0: oh, because
1: <laughs> of the computer would seem like it was haunted? Yeah. Well, no one survived to tell the tale, have they? So.
0: That's true. Mm-hmm. So, concept. <laughs> Niven's short story, The Soft Weapon, uh, dictated two of the characters. Nessus was the manic-depressive herbivore advanced alien, and he was represented by Spock. The human female, Anne-Marie, became Ahura. As for Sulu, Niven said, I chose a character that could be spared from the bridge. The Enterprise can carry on without them.
1: What? Since when are we doing that?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I like
1: you for breaking convention, but we always have... The most important characters from the ship come down to a dangerous alien planet. Yeah,
0: exactly. Larry Niven's Kazinti were first introduced as part of the known space universe. a series of books and stories that he did. It was in a story called The Warriors, which was published in 1966.
1: So we had a weedy psychic. The boss was slightly protective of him. He needed a lot of self-care. He had to go off and look after himself, didn't he? After exerting himself psychicking. They were meat eaters disgusted by the idea of vegetables. At one point, Sulu had to think of fresh vegetables so that when they probed his mind, they wouldn't like being in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really weird that they would be squeamish about such a thing, Mm. but you know, whatever, I guess.
1: Spock's knowledge of other aliens was key as usual. Mm-hmm. He knew the chuffed captain wouldn't call for help after the shame of getting his ass kicked by a vegan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Worst game played by cousins ever, though, this. The way that Spock kind of said, you're a girl, so you stay quiet. You you think of broccoli, and I'll go and kick the guy <laughs> and get the gun. <laughs> Is that one of those awful bossy cousins telling everyone what to do oh right well he's spock me i was that cousin you were the bossy
0: cousin he's spock he's the smartest guy he's got a plan he knows these uh kazinti and their their habits and their social structure and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah of course he's even making the decision
1: and they think he's weak so they don't see it coming
0: right we had a reasoning war computer in the gun
1: yeah, it bugged me that the light wasn't always flashing in time with the speech on the <laughs> gun. <laughs> Did you care?
0: I didn't care. No, no, it didn't bother me. It also contained a conversion beam, an energy absorber, a rocket slash transportation device. Yeah, which they could was,
1: kind of stand on it to go zooming off somewhere. It was
0: pretty comical, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, laser, a telescope, and a self-destruct setting. We saw the introduction of the police web, which was, mm-hmm. was interesting, and the Human-Kazinti War, which was 200 years ago, which I thought, mm-hmm. is that? That's a long time ago. Yeah, does that work with the timeline? Does that work with the timeline? And I guess it is the late 21st century. It does work, but it's pre-Federation for sure. So it was the humans that were having problems with the Kazinti, maybe the humans and the Vulcans. Yeah. They ended up signing a treaty called the Treaty of Sirius. Also, we're going to have some bonus content from Sirius XM this month of Rachel being interviewed.
1: Yeah, so if you're a patron, head over and listen to that if you haven't already. So the Kizinti are never shown again in Star Trek. I can't believe that.
0: Well, no, there's little Easter eggs here and there on one of the star maps there's Kazin you can see what the planet Kazin oh, what a rip-off. and there's also some people joke that in the movie Star Trek V, there's a sexy cat dancer lady and they <laughs> say that she's a Kazinti but she's not officially a Kazinti because there's also the Acadians which is what Maress is
1: yeah but these are really interesting aren't they The concepts that we've got here oh I know yeah, yeah. they're super
0: interesting I huh. think it became an issue because it was some other dude's idea Ah, oh, okay. and he owns the Kazinti so mm-hmm. that they were on this show they can't officially be used by paramount because they'd have to license this stuff
1: oh none of them have ever watched the animated series
0: could be that too (laughs) but they are different than the cadians because they've got like webbed fin ears whereas uh maress doesn't she just has kind of regular cat ears she
1: doesn't look anything like kazinte no don't be racist
0: (laughs) they say that they are related though are they've split off and live on different planets like the vulcans and the romulans are also related
1: yeah It's wild to think of an advanced civilization from so long ago who left these geocaches around, some of which explode you, some give you ultimate power, some include a photo of an alien and a bit of poisoned meat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that was something we didn't say, that they tested the meat and found out it was poisoned. Yeah. So it wasn't was a care that? package.
1: Oh, well no, unless it wasn't poisoned to them. We had the ultimate in preservation. Time stands still in there. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the Kazinti concepts were conveyed clearly. So that brings the score down whereas it would have been really high actually for this one. I'm going for a seven out of ten.
0: I'm giving it the eight out of ten. I think there was a lot of cool stuff in here with the stasis box and the Kazinti and their alien culture. I was really into it. Entertainment. <coughs>
1: Animation-wise, sideways Sulu is Kirk with black hair. <laughs> now, that was very obvious.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They also forgot to draw the life support belts on, but they were still glowing. Yes. Uhura's running was ridiculous. Yeah. It was just her kind of standing there and then her legs moving. Yeah. Her arms not or anything. And then she said, Oh, I'm slowing down. I used to be able to run it in record time. As if. Look like you've never run a day in your life. <laughs> not just the way they animated it
0: oh I see I was gonna say no <laughs> i sure like was in, in good shape she's a oh, track she star absolutely
1: but the guys they had them running properly with their arms up and bent over and stuff
0: yes come that's on, true
1: come on everybody I suppose I should be grateful that she's so prominently in it, but I was irritated that she was silenced and needed rescue.
0: She got captured twice yeah. in the episode, and that was like, oh, that's a bummer. Is that
1: the only reason she's there?
0: Yeah, come on. Have her do some cool stuff, because she's a horror.
1: Yeah. Apparently, this is the only time she appears without Shatner. Oh.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's no Shatner in this episode, which was pretty shocking.
1: And no Enterprise.
0: Whoa. I know oh my gosh
1: we had a bit of spock foo
0: yeah flipping jump kick
1: (laughs) nice design to the weapon and the kazinti though strangely buff for their postures and jowly mob boss faces i thought (laughs) nice and pink which of course was not due to sutherland's color blindness surely which we've agreed makes no sense it was according to storyboard artist bob klein just because colorist irv kaplan liked pink
0: Yeah, all right.
1: DC tried to apologize to Niven about the ship being pink, but he wasn't bothered. Oh, good. And later she said the pink ship was the only problem with this episode. What what
0: difference does it make (laughs) if it's pink?
1: It does stand out, doesn't it? But I didn't care. Do and did the voices of all the Kazinti. Oh, wow. He is good, isn't he? She's
0: really good, yeah. He really
1: disguises and does completely different voices.
0: Yeah, wow. I didn't clock him. It is him at all.
1: I think his Scotty's getting worse, actually, because he's doing so (laughs) many other voices, but... Fair blade to him. It seems to be well-liked by various Star Trek magazines, this one. I thought it was okay. Six out of ten.
0: Well, I thought it was pretty good. It moved fast. I was engaged. I thought there were fun concepts. Seven out of ten. I kid value.
1: <coughs> this is the only time a character is killed on the animated series. Oh. When they were exploded by the self-destruct.
0: Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that.
1: The lessons are, if you shoot an unknown weapon, aim at a far-off target. <laughs> If you're a pacifist, then kick someone and it'll buy you some time. That's another lesson. <laughs> That's it really. <laughs> also imagine an alien race where the females are dumb and to compare that to hopefully how equal they felt with their peers, whether mm-hmm. they were girls or boys. Watching. Yeah, sure it could be. higher for weapon and alien fun. Sort uh, kid fun, but if it's educationality, I'll go two.
0: Yeah, two sounds about right for everything that you said i agree with you i I don't have anything to add on that do you think it could have been done live
1: they couldn't have made the kazinti so non-human in stature even in animation they were limited according to dc they couldn't do stripes on them too expensive to animate
0: oh yeah i can see that
1: but apart from that perhaps they could have it would have been difficult to do the gun prop because it really changed shape every time they changed the setting i'm sure they could have fudged it
0: yeah I think that this was definitely an episode that utilized animation to a very high degree. Them having a big nuclear blast, I don't know how they would have done that on
1: the... Yeah, they would have found a way. (laughs) (laughs) But the Kazinti would have been a lot less interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So my guess is, no Kirk saving people, no Maress. The weapon didn't enslave or remote control people. Although I thought it was a bit misleading that it was called the slaver weapon. Yeah. Yeah, no Kirk foo, zero points. Sorry. Well, next week is the Eye of the Beholder and possibly also the Jihad. We've only got eight more to go.
0: We're flying through this stuff and then we're going to be into the movies. All right. Uh, Well, Rachel, thanks for watching Star Trek with me. Even though the animated series isn't quite as good as the original series, I'm still having fun.
1: Yeah, I'm still having fun doing the show, but have realized I didn't really need any more from these characters or this setting when the original series finished. Right. So I was kind of over it already.
0: Uh-huh. I'm ready for a new
1: cast. Sorry, everyone. Uh, but we're nearly there. Boy.
0: But then we got the movies as well. Yeah. They go through different things because they're obviously they're much older and that becomes a factor in the stories. That's interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Thank you, patrons, for all your support. That's what's keeping us going over here. And thank you, listeners. Welcome if you're new. And with that, I'm Rachel Lackey.
0: And I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to
1: Rachel Watches Star Trek. <laughs>
2: Dread.